I, I want you to be or continue to remember Miss Clara. She's back from the hospital in Jackson. She's back home under now a hospice care. So you keep praying for her and you know what else to do as the Holy Spirit directs you. Let's pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, powerful, loving, caring. Our Lord, we cannot truly fathom your love, nor can we really fathom your power. Can we, nor can we fathom the level of your devotion to your children. Because you have informed us that you are eyes roam over the earth to strengthen the heart of all those who are devoted to you. So, Heavenly Father, we find ourselves highly blessed for this group of believers that you have assembled. Lord, we know that there are members of this body that are having many health issues. We also know that you have the power to execute in what such a way to bring wellness to them as you have seen fit. Heavenly Father, we cannot truly thank you for all that you do for us, but with this we can do. For the little we understand, we join the elect in heaven to say to you, may all glory, honor, dominion, powers belong to you because you deserve them. We continue to wonder that you will even accept praise from earthen verses like us. Because your son, Jesus Christ, made it possible that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that you do hear us. So, Father, we pray now that as we have gathered to study a portion of your word, that God, the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are continuing and we end our section of First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. We have been dealing with believers' freedom in Christ. As that the issue of this section. I begin reading this morning in verse 32. Say, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now in our last study, we introduced the third responsibility you have regarding the message of this passage that we are considering, which is that you should follow Apostle Paul's example of use of freedom that he patterned after that of Christ. Now this responsibility, as we previously stated, implies that a believer 
should be concerned with the spiritual welfare of others rather than one's freedom in Christ. However, before uh, Apostle Paul issues the command on which this third responsibility is based, he issued a command that requires being concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. As we read again in uh, verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Now we indicated that the phrase, the church of God, refers to the global community of believers, or the whole body of those who have believed in Christ, regardless of where they are located. We also indicated that since the instruction of verse 32 is concerned with not giving offense or causing someone to stumble, that we should concern ourselves with the individual believers in a local church of God, regardless of where they are located, because you deal or you should be dealing with those in your local congregation. Thus, we ended our last study with a question of how a believer should obey the instruction not to give offense or cause a fellow believer to stumble as a part of the instruction not to cause the church of God to stumble. So it is with this how that we begin our study this morning. So our concern, no doubt, will be centered on the individual believer as part of the church of God. But, we will also consider how not to give offense or cause stumbling to the church of Christ. Now we begin with things we should do or should avoid so that we do not give offense or cause stumbling for a fellow believer. Now what I said is, we're going to look at this perspectively from individualistic and corporate. In other words, what you must not do for your fellow believer and what you must not do for the church of Christ. So a first thing that a believer should not do in order not to give offense or cause stumbling of another believer is not judging a fellow believer wrongly or condemning such a person based on the issue that the scripture gives freedom for believers to act in which whatever way their conscience allows them. It is avoidance of such condemnation or judging wrongly that the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, stated in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Romans chapter 14 verse 13 reads, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment 
on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Now in the context of this verse, the apostle was concerned with dietary laws and days of worship. See, the believer, uh, the believers in Rome were cautioned against condemning their fellow believer based on their relationship to these two matters that has to do with food and day of worship. So a believer who is condemned in this area may become offended since the believer uh, does not see anything wrong based on the scripture and probably will will then become bitter, which is not healthy spiritually for that person. Now, you notice what I said. A lot of times you may tell people, they say, I don't see it. It doesn't mean that they're right. So that's why I say, they do not see it according to the scripture. That's the standard by which you go. You may say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. So what? Does it mean you're right? But if you say, I don't see anything wrong about that, Based on the scripture, then you're right. Because if you saw the scripture enough to realize, no, that one is not wrong, then you're, you're right if you did whatever it is. So, in that situation, uh, if somebody starts to criticize you, you may get uh, burned out of shape, as we say, and that will lead to some kind of bitterness, and you'll be uh, unhealthy spiritually. So, then, the situation that the apostle was concerned, though, it's similar today to the example that I will keep using because it's one of the things around this area and that is the use of our uh, alcohol in our time. So a believer may, based on the scripture, see nothing wrong with drinking wine so long as the person is not drunk. Now if another believer judges wrongly or condemns the individual, it is possible that the believer who is judged may become resentful and so will be involved in a sin of hatred. When that happens, it causes your fellow believer to stumble. Now, such situation could be avoided though if the one who condemns that believer did not do it in the first place. So the point is that we should be careful in condemning Another believer for an activity that we could not clearly establish to be sinful from the scripture. Not because of your feeling, but from the scripture. Because we all have different feelings. But the only authority is the scripture. So even if we know of a sinful conduct, for example, we should still be careful or we should carefully and in humility approach the believer we believe is involved in a sinful conduct or activity. It's important. Because, again, there's a way you approach somebody and you disarm them. But then there's a way you do and they put up more fight. That's what you see today. Because of the way people approach each other, 
Well, even when people know that they are wrong, they just keep defending themselves. Whereas, it's a way you can approach somebody and you disarm them. And that's, I mean, this is just something I, uh, it's not that it's in my notes, but it's a way to refresh your mind about that. And that is when God sent Nathan to go to David about his adulterous affair mother. He didn't go there and say, Shem, 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 King, this is what the Lord said you did. He didn't do that. He went there and put up a situation of somebody having four uh, sheep and one somewhere with one and the other one go take it there. David was enraged. Whoever did that deserved to die, I mean to be punished four times. When we say, oh, the king is you. He said, oh, now, Lord, see that's how we all are. Oh, now, Lord, have mercy. Because by then, he's already done damage. Remember, he said, punish four times. And that's exactly what God did to him, four times. So the point I'm trying to say is, you may be right. That's not the issue. But you, the way you explain it to somebody else is very important. It is important that we do that. So when we avoid criticizing based on something that is not in the scripture. But more so, my point is, even if the believer is wrong based on this, what you find in the scripture, find a gentle way in humility to tell the person. And if you do that, you get a different response than if you just went and become abrasive about it. So that's the first thing. That you, as a believer, that you should uh, do everything, not to judge a believer in a way to lead that person to sin. The second thing a believer should uh, do to ensure another believer is not offended or stumbles is to refrain in the use of one's freedom when that will cause another believer to have problem. Now it is this kind of action that Apostle Paul meant in stating a believer should not eat anything that will cause problem for a fellow believer still in that Romans chapter 14, look at verse 15. Verse 15 reads, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now, this second thing that a believer should do is really related to the first, in that a more mature believer will not do anything that will cause spiritual problem for a less matured believer. If you think or if you consider yourself more matured, then act that way before an immature Christian. That's what is the issue. Now staying with the example of use of alcohol, this second action requires that if a believer knows that the use 
of alcohol will cause problem for another believer, then the person should refrain from it, not because it's sinful, but because the believer wants not to offend the weaker believer. That's one without the knowledge that you have. Now this second action again is what Apostle Paul says he would take in this epistle of 1 Corinthians that we have already considered it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13. First Corinthians chapter eight verse thirteen. It reads Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Now I know, as I explained many times, when we are in the battlefield, it's very easy to forget what we need to remember. And so we fail. But if we keep remembering this, this thing, to the point where our whole nature as believers begin to become repulsive to sin, then not only don't we want to sin, but we don't want somebody else to sin either. Another believer I'm talking now, does that mean you're not going to say no? I don't mean that. It's just that your whole nature gears towards anything that is sinful. You, don't, you resist it, though you may sin, but you're not pleased with yourself when that happens. Of course, you know what to do. Is, that's the term you admitted before. Your Heavenly Father, and He cleanses you. So, the thing is, well, if we are aware of the gravity of sin, then we'll try everything not to cause another believer to sin. Now, it can come in different ways. Now, this is, I probably say, this should be much more things that husband and wife should be very aware of each other. Because there's something you say loosely, and you flare the other person up. You have caused that one to stumble. You have to think twice. In other words, what I'm trying to emphasize here is that our living as Christians puts a big burden on thinking. Our thought process. We have to think. I know many times we just run our mouths. We're not thinking of what we're saying. But it's important that we do so in light of not wanting to give somebody an offense, uh, to cause an offense or cause somebody to stumble. Now a thought thing a believer should do to ensure that another believer is not offended or stumbles is to avoid anything that will humiliate anything that will humiliate a, a fellow believer or put that person in a position of feeling inadequate in the person's relationship with Christ. In other words, be very careful about humiliating your fellow believer or any person for that matter. Try not to do things that you know will do that. Now, two examples of these are provided in the scripture. 
that I think sees what we need to illustrate with. Apostle uh, Paul later in this epistle to the Corinthians presents such a situation where those who are better off materially cause those who are poor to feel inadequate because the richer believers fail to share their meals with such poor believers during the Lord's feast before the Lord's Supper of God which is what we will get to it uh, shortly what the Lord says shortly in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22 reads Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? And look at that Humiliate And humiliate those who have nothing What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not And so Another example of this third action to avoid is favoritism. Favoritism. That will make a believer to feel unwelcomed in the fellowship of believers. As we read in James chapter 2 verses 2 through 4. James Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It reads, James chapter 2, verse 2 reads, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil Thought. So here James used the matter of wealth and poverty to illustrate that it is not spiritually good for one believer to humiliate another believer so that the one humiliated may feel unwanted or wonder regarding the individual's faith in Christ. However, today in some of our local churches, what the Holy Spirit forbids shows itself in how some local churches treat those who visit their local congregations. There is a tendency to treat certain visitors in a warm manner while giving cold shoulder to others in such a way that those not well received 
may become humiliated. Now, as many people, the reason I speak up, try to use this illustration is that many times we hear these things explained, but we don't make connection with them, and yet we'll be doing contrary to what the Bible actually says. Now, those who are not welcome, for example, may be filled with bitterness or even doubt about their faith. If those who claim to have the same faith or the same belief in Christ as them do not welcome them into their fellowship. Now, I suppose that some believers do not recognize or do not even care that such treatment of others could lead the recipients of such treatment to sin against the Lord. Thus, if a believer is concerned not to cause a fellow believer to stumble or to give offense to another believer, then such believer will strive to avoid anything that resembles favoritism. We'll try to do that. Now, well, I've given three actions that a believer should take to ensure that another believer is not offended or caused to stumble. However, as I mentioned, we have to look at the church as a whole. So we should mention one action then, that every believer should be cautious to avoid in order not to cause a local church to stumble or cause offense to such a local church. It is doing everything one can to avoid anything that brings division in the local church. Anything that has the potential of bringing division in the church, you should try and avoid it. It is for this reason that Apostle Paul appealed to the Corinthians to avoid division in the passage we already studied in detail, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. First Corinthians chapter one verse ten. First Corinthians chapter one verse ten reads I appear to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. So that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So the point is that a believer should be careful to avoid anything that has the potential of causing division in a local church because of its impact on the local church. So with these actions that a believer should avoid, we remind you again of the third responsibility that we're considering, which is you should follow Apostle Paul's example of use of freedom that he patterned after that of Christ. Now we indicated that before Apostle Paul issued a command that is the basis of this third responsibility that we're considering. 
He issued a command in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 11 that is tantamount to being concerned about the spiritual welfare of others in that the believer should be careful not to give offense or cause someone to stumble in matters that are spiritual in nature. Now be that, but that's really not all though that the apostle did before he issued the command that is the basis of this third responsibility that we are considering. He conveyed that he in effect was doing that sort of thing although he stated it in a manner that is opposite to what he wrote or gave in verse 32 he did that by beginning verse 33 with a Greek phrase translated in the NIV as even as I that's how it begins in verse 33 in the NIV now more literally from the Greek it reads something like just as I also just as I also now this is because the word as of the NIV is translated from a Greek adverb a Greek adverb that uh, is used as a marker of similarity in events and states with the possible implication of something being in accordance with some else. And so the Greek word kathos may mean something like just as or in comparison to. Here the apostle used it to make comparison between what he was about to state in verse 33 to what he already stated in verse 32 regarding not giving offense or causing someone to stumble in spiritual matters. Now the expression again, I even of the NIV is really translated from uh, a Greek word that is a contraction of two Greek words. It's a Greek word that's literally uh, when you put the two words together it's really a Greek word kago, but it's translated from two Greek words Combine. And the first part of the Greek word actually means and, and the second part of it means I. So the contraction then in our passage is probably better translated I also. I also. Thus the apostle is setting himself up as one whose example believers encourage. And so all believers should follow before he actually issued the command to do so. So the action of the apostle that uh, complies with the command that he gave negatively in verse 32 about not offending others is given positively in verse 33. So the opposite of not offending others is pleasing them. Consequently, the apostle states that what that, that was what he did in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 
33. It reads this way. I try to please everybody in every way. Literally, the Greek reads, I also, in everything, please everyone. Let me read that again. Literally says, I also, in everything, please everyone. Now, the literal translation indicates that the word try of the NIV is not in the Greek text. But it is added, though, as a way to capture a possible meaning or implication of the present tense using the Greek. So the present tense using the Greek could be understood either to indicate that what the apostle states is something that he routinely does and that he has formed the habit to do what he stated. Or that the apostle has the uh, intention of pleasing others and is indeed doing so. It is probably, of course, the letter uh, that the apostle meant to convey. In effect, the apostle, as a matter of fact, is involved in pleasing others, but he also realized that such action is not complete as long as he's alive. That is to say, there will never be a time he will stop that. Which is the same thing for all of us. There's never a time when we stop living according to truth. Never a time. It's never permitted. Now, it doesn't mean we don't. We don't we fail. But it's not permitted by God. In other words, there is no such thing as vacation in the spiritual life. Don't take vacation. We can do that. If anything, we need to double down. But not taking, that's what the apostle probably meant in this uh, use of the present tense. So that you know that you should do everything in terms of pleasing. And again, you have to go back and remember the qualification I gave last week. To please people does not mean to do what is wrong. It doesn't mean that you should compromise. Again, I also explained that even when you don't compromise, you do it in such a way, in a gentle way. But you not, uh, to please other people doesn't mean do any and everything they want. Anyway, the word please, yeah, is translated from a Greek word that we're told is really a, for, a favored term in the reciprocity conscious uh, Mediterranean world and frequently though used in honorary uh, documents to express interest in accommodating others by meeting their needs or carrying out important obligations. Now when we say reciprocity conscious Mediterranean world is people have this they are very conscious if you do me a favor, I shall return it to you. That's what we mean. They're very conscious of that. Once you've shown somebody a favor, they know in their mind, I must return it back to you. That's what we mean by, uh, what the uh, uh, experts mean by that. Thus, so really, the 
a Greek word may mean to please, in the sense of to give pleasure or satisfaction, as that is the sense the apostle used the word in Romans chapter 15, verse 2. Romans chapter 15, verse 2. Romans chapter 15, verse 2. It is, each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Now the word, of course, may mean to please, in the sense of acting, to win favor or approval. As Apostle Paul Use it to remind the Galatians he was not seeking human approval as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This is something that I believe all of us who are pastors or those who stand behind the pulpit. Should have the same attitude that we're not there to please, but to give her the truth. So the apostle used it in some questions here. He said, Galatians 1 verse 10 reads, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ or a slave of Christ. In other words, whenever you are pleasing people for the sake of pleasing them at the expense of your spiritual life, at that point, you have not become a slave of Jesus Christ. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 33, the Greek verb has a sense of to delight, to delight. That is, to give pleasure to or to be bliss, uh, pleasing to someone. Now the apostle's action, as we stated, he compared to the instruction not to give offense or cause anyone to stumble spiritually, is given then in the sentence Again of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 33. Where he read again. He said, I try to please everybody in every way. Now we should of course be careful. Not to think that what the apostle stated here is that he absolutely, absolutely attends pleasing everyone in every way without qualification. See, such thinking will imply that the apostle will do something sinful to bless people or that he will do whatever people want to curry their favor. But that could not be what he means by any stretch of the imagination. Now, such understanding will conflict with the apostle's instruction to believers to operate in a way to glorify 
God as we have started, uh, started in verse 31 of First Corinthians chapter 10 we're considering. Furthermore, such understanding will contradict the way the apostle functioned as one that is not wanting to please people at the expense of displeasing God. As we read, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 reads On the contrary we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel we are not trying to please men but God who tastes our hearts now Read that. That seems to be almost contradictory to what we're studying when he stated in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 10. See, when the apostles stated, we are not trying to please men, but God, in this passage of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, he probably meant that he and his team did not try to do what people want them to do. Instead, they did what God wants them to do. That's the, that's the difference. There are things people may want you to do, but they do not agree with God's word. So you have to do what God wants and displease people. So when we say trying to please everyone doesn't mean again that you compromise what is true. And of course, usually when, when you do what is correct, people will criticize you. They hate you. Those who love darkness, we do that. Those in the light, they praise you for doing what's correct. Nonetheless, that's the apostle is saying, yes, I try to please, but not at the expense of uh, displeasing God. Thus then, when the apostle stated in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33, I try to please everyone in every way, we should understand it to mean that he would do whatever is not sinful to please people. So that should be something that sticks in our, all of us, our soul. Do everything to please, but never do anything sinful. That should stick in our minds. We should do, we try every way to please people, but we should never do anything that is sinful. Now this truth is evident in the instruction of the Holy Spirit through the apostle to believers. So he instructed about the necessity of not pleasing self by accommodating weak believers. As we read in Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, 
column to it because I pick up the next verse that we already looked at before. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. It is, we who are strong, now notice, we who are strong, I mean, the apostle knows he is, but if you think you are strong spiritually, then look at what he says next. Ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. So if you think you are strong spiritually, then you must be able to accommodate those who are wicked, then you are in the Christian faith. That is something that you and I have to do if we believe that we are spiritually matured. Anyway, to ensure that we do not think that when we are to accommodate others, that the apostle was concerned with believers doing something sinful in the name of accommodating others or not pleasing self, he gave a second instruction in the next verse that we have already cited before, the same Romans 15. Look at the next verse. We have already looked at it. Verse 2 it says, Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now here is the thing. The instruction here is to please one's neighbor. That is really, first and foremost, a fellow believer in a way that will be beneficial to the neighbor. In other words, you please that believer in a way that will be beneficial to the believer. Now the implication is that a believer could not do anything sinful to please a neighbor because encouraging anything sinful in the life of another person is to function contrary to God's word. And when you do anything that you know, will encourage sin, you have conflicted the word of God. Now besides, though you know this, sin does not build up a person. Instead, it destroys an individual. Sin never has any redeeming value, as they will say. It's nothing beneficial about sin. Because all it does is to destroy us. Sin has a tendency. And that's why we, of course, constantly reminded to avoid it because of its destructive power. So, we contended that when the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 33, I try to please everybody in every way, or literally, I also, in everything, please everyone. He could not mean doing them, any and everything, to please everyone without qualification. So to, to understand that the apostle did not mean he did any and everything to please everyone without qualification, we should pay attention to two words in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 33. Again it reads, I try to please everybody in every way. 
There are two words that are important here. The first is the word everybody, or of the NIV, or I use everyone in the literal translation. Now the word is translated from the plural of a Greek word that may mean all. All or everyone. All or everyone. Now in our verse, it is used in the sense of all that is determined by the context. Remember, some time ago, I spent some time with the Greek word all, parts, to show us that all may mean something depending on the context. It doesn't mean universal uh, or absolute covering everything. That sometimes is the context that helps us to do so. So when he used the word all in the, in the Greek, he was thinking of this group of believers, I mean group of people, sorry, that he's been talking about. Now remember in the context, he, he classified humanity into three. Recall, Jews who are not believers. Gentiles who are not believers. And then all believers in Christ. These were the three that he classified. So, when he used the word all in the Greek, he was thinking then of this group of people. Of course, he would not have meant every one in each group, but that he had, but really those he had had any kind of dealing or interaction with. That's what he'll be referring to. Now, the fact that he pleased those in each group will imply that he was not doing anything that is sinful. Why he was trying to please them. Now, this is underscored by the second phrase, everywhere, everywhere. Or literally, the Greek says everything. That is also translated from the same Greek word that means all or everyone. Here the apostle Yuzi uh, would have had in mind every dealings that he had with different individuals in the groups he had identified. Again, Jews, Gentiles, and the Church of Christ. Now, so this being the case, he will be thinking of how he, you know, different way he dealt with them. For, for example, he will Handle the matter of eating meat brought from the marketplace in Corinth differently if he was with any of these three groups. If he was with the Jews, he handled meat from the marketplace differently. Was with Gentiles, the same thing, and with the Church of Christ, the same thing. So, this is something that he will do. He will act in such a way. That will not cause problem with each group while being careful not to do anything that is contrary to the word of God. Hence, when the apostle wrote, I try to please everybody in every way, or literally, I do I also in everything please everyone. He meant that he was careful to act in such a way that he does not offend or cause anyone to stumble 
in spiritual matters, regardless of what group the individual belongs. That the apostle was concerned with spiritual matters in the sentence that we have considered is evident though in what he states following the sentence that we are considering. The apostle first conveyed that he was not concerned with what benefits him, but with what benefits others. It is this declaration that is given in the NIV of First Corinthians 10 verse 33 we are studying, where it says, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Literally, this is where the Greek reads, and if you pay attention, you can catch the difference. Literally, the Greek reads, not seeking my own advantage, but the of the many. The of the many. Now, the city. Little reading indicates that the apostle used a participle in the Greek translated seeking in majority of our English versions. Now although our English versions that render the uh, Greek using the word seeking are correct, they are correct as far as the Greek is concerned, but they fail to help the English reader that has no knowledge of the Greek to understand what the apostle wrote here. Now, to my surprise, uh, even the new English translation, whose translators are usually careful to reflect what is intended in the Greek, they know better. In translating the Greek here, because they translated a participle, of course, as a final verb, because this is the way it reads I do not seek my own benefit. I do not seek my own benefit. Now, this translation implies, though, that uh, the apostle uh, could have, I mean, that the apostle really used a final verb in the Greek. Sure, the apostle could have used a finite verb here, but he did not do so. So, we should recognize that he had a reason for doing so, or for not doing so. Those are the things that we spend time when we're studying the word of God from the original language. He, this, he could have just said, like, I do not seek my own, my own benefit. Or my own advantage. That, he could have written that in the Greek, but he didn't write it. He didn't use a final verb. He is a participle. And so at that point, one who is serious studying was saying, Now, why did he do that? What was, the, what was the point the Holy Spirit is trying to drive at? And that's what we try to do uh, in any of the in time we studied. Now, in my judgment, though, of all English versions I consulted, only the NIV that attempted interpreting the Greek participle the apostle used 
as I will now try to demonstrate to you. I will attempt to demonstrate to you that they are the only ones that they tried to get to what uh, the Greek actually says so that the English student uh, will understand a little bit more if they paid attention to what they are reading. Now, so translating the Greek form, they are forced to use merely as a participle, which is correct, as you find in majority of our English versions, means that an English reader would most likely not see that the form the apostle uh, used holds the key to the meaning he wanted to convey in the literal translation in the Greek that reads, again, the literal Greek reads, not seeking my own advantage, but the of the many. The of the many, of course, you can seek in their advantage of the many. Now that's very, you know, we read through that, the many is very important. And as I'm going to, we're going to elaborate on that uh, very soon. Anyway, when the apostle used a participle in the Greek, he intended to convey that what he wrote is related to the main assertion in the Greek text, which is that he pleased those he encountered among the groups he listed. So, instead of saying, well, I thought, or I seek my, uh, I don't seek my own advantage, but that of others. He went using the word a participle. So when he did that, say participle, it's a verbal adjective, so it can uh, uh, function as a verb or as an adjective. But whenever in the Greek we have it, there's a main verb. And it has to be related to it. So here, the apostle, his main verb really is, I please. So when he says, seeking, that means, how are they connected? That's what we need to resolve. He's not just saying, uh, you know, I want to please you, and then seeking your own good. No. There's, some, there's a connection between pleasing and seeking. So what's the connection? Well, we'll answer that after the Lord's Supper and after a break. So please get your elements during break. <laughs> 